Scripture reading this afternoon will be from Isaiah 53, 4-6, and Hebrews 9, 27-28. Isaiah 53, 4-6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, the afflicted and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. <clears throat> All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. And as it the appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment... So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear the second time apart from sin for salvation. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. Uh, know that you're loved by a truly awesome God, our Lord and Savior Jesus. And of course, we love each other. And may I extend my heartfelt thanks to the song leader and for the scripture reading this day. So I first actually created this sermon, oh, about three years ago. And I was dealing with a common problem in society. I was wondering, why does everybody do whatever they want? And why does everyone who seemingly says they follow Jesus seem to look the other way. Now, that's not to broad brush us all, but that's to look at some of the real world challenges around us. And so I decided to think, okay, let's think of a song. Let's think of a song that we sing regularly, and let's dive into why this song was created. And so the purpose of today's lesson is to not only look into why the song was created, but to sort of apply it to ourselves and sort of answer that question. And so we can title our sermon together, I gave rich gifts to thee, but what have you done for me? Or what hast thou done for me? To use the old English. Jesus gave his life for everyone who might believe. We know this. We understand this. But the question we should ask ourselves is not why Jesus would have done that or why me why Jesus would have done that. Instead, we ought to ask ourselves, what have we as believers given to Jesus? And that's an important question to ask all ourselves. Because when you consider the lesson from Paul to Timothy, Paul literally charges Timothy, you have to give your very best. And let's face it, when we go through our lives, our very best sometimes isn't good enough. But that's not why we give our very best. We don't give our very best to just be good enough. 
No, none of us are good enough when you think of it. That's why Jesus had to come. We give our very best to show that our heart belongs to the one who gave it all. He didn't hold back. We often will come to Isaiah 53 and we will link it together with the story found in Acts of the Ethiopian eunuch. We will link the two together to teach on baptism. Right? But what's not given in the story of baptism is present in the song we sing. And you might ask, well, what are you talking about? We understand the result after the eunuch was baptized. He went on his merry way, so to speak. He was happy. But clearly he was seeking to give something to God. And when approached by Philip, he asked for help. And he asked for the kind of help to understand what he was reading. And it is only then when you understand what you read in the word of God, then you can really realize what you can give back to the Lord. And that will frame our lesson today. We will look at Frances Havergal. She's very famous for a lot of songs that we actually will sing together when we sing for the Lord. She is credited with something like 55 songs, I think. So... Anyways, let us go ahead and begin. So the way the lesson is designed today is we're going to look at two common understandings. What can a non-believer do and what can a believer do? And then we're going to look at her life. I do apologize for the slides. They look way better, but I will do my best to kind of explain them. So we'll go to the next slide here. So when we consider our scripture reading and we ask ourselves, what have we given back to the Lord? If you look here... This fancy diagram, which is a pretty high-resolution picture, is one of the first mass-produced Bibles in the history of the world. This is a Gutenberg Bible. And for those who know history, Johannes Gutenberg was famous for the printing press. Do you understand why he made the printing press? To rapidly produce scripture. That was his service back to God. Now, we can attack the guy for his faith. We could say, oh, you know, he's kind of Presbyterian or something. That doesn't matter. What matters is he took what was a laborious task of having to write all the scriptures out by hand, and even just writing five pages tends to tire myself out, but he took our whole Bible and started mass producing it. He made the printing press specifically for that reason. And when you look in the modern era, that is huge. We, we can go to the store and we can get any kind of literature we want mass produced with ease. In history, that had to change at some point. And when we ask ourselves the question, what have we given back to him? These little things absolutely matter, and they add up. This might not have mattered for the small village he comes from or the large town he would have turned his publication over. But if you consider the hundreds of years between when he did this and today, this is remarkable. We're talking millions and millions of copies of the Word of God can be mass-produced because that was his offering. And so the question then can arise, what must we do? And we're very familiar with the formula. We understand, and I have to look here because the font is like blank in front of me. We have to understand that when God compels us into anything, and you will see it often in the New Testament, they will ask, and specifically in the book of Acts, they will ask, but what shall we do or what must we do to be saved? And the statement and the response is always the same. Repent confess, some, some level of confession has to occur, you become baptized, and then you live. Now, 
To a non-believer, they'll say, well, I'm already living. This means living life faithfully to the Lord. We're very familiar with this. But when you look at each step along the way, oftentimes what gets drowned out is the final step. A lot of Christians will get baptized, and they'll show up to church, and that's it. They don't do anything more. But there is a lot to be done. In fact, Jesus compels his disciples. He says, listen, you must pray for the harvest, right? The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. 2,000 years ago, when the Lord uttered that to his disciples, it reigns true today. There is a lot of harvest out there. Now, we all can't be gospel preachers. We all can't write beautiful tracts or nice cards, but every little bit plays a role. Every little bit adds up and contributes to the whole. Think of harvest time. Not everyone runs the sickle, right? Not everyone gathers the bushels, not everyone lifts, and so on and so forth. There's people that provide wood wood to carry it with, or uh, food if they're hungry, or water. Everybody has a role to play. And when you think of the song we sang today, I Gave My Life for Thee, we're going to look at Francis's role in the big picture. As Christians, when we go through our lives, we understand life is a complex journey. Some days are good days for us, and we will seek and say with joy, hey, I had a really good day today. You know, we will often ask each other, how was your day, or how was your week, or how have you been if I haven't seen you for a longer period of time? And the answers vary. If you get an upbeat person, they're probably going to tell you something upbeat all the time. If you get a negative person, they'll probably say, "Eh, you know, it was okay. They don't want to bore you with maybe the finer details. Some people could have the roughest week imaginable. But regardless of the twists and turns in life, each opportunity we are given is an opportunity to show who we are. A lot of people will say, well, what is going to be your legacy when you die? Well, I can tell you there have been some great kings since Solomon, but most people can't name them because they just don't matter. They show up in history. They ruled large kingdoms, empires even bigger than the empire that Solomon got to rule over the Jews. But people would be like, I've never heard of that king. A while ago, Joe gave us a great lesson on the different pharaohs in Egypt. Some of the names we remember from pop culture, other names are so foreign, but some of the foreign names, if you will, had a greater impact on Egyptian society and the civilization at that time. But regardless, going back to that question, what is your legacy? I submit to you today as Christians together, you know the legacy that matters most? Is A, did you believe Jesus? And B, did you share Jesus with somebody? It could be your kids. It could be your neighbors. It could be a coworker. It could be distant family or relatives, you name it. But as we know, and, and I apologize again, it doesn't show up here, but here is a lesson on everyone is born of blood. Well, think of Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus, afraid of the Pharisees, and, and I don't blame him, because the Pharisees would put people to death or ostracize them from the community if They were considered out of line. But he asked Jesus, and Jesus gives this wonderful description of what it means to truly be born of God. And it presents him with this challenge. Now, he handles the challenge correctly. We're given the full details of the end of the story. 
But everyone is born of blood. Everyone in this room today is born of blood. But not everyone is born of water. Right? And that's important to understand because if we teach baptism, we're echoing those words. And we know that when we are baptized, we can begin to obey because baptism is the first act of obedience. And there's absolutely no disputing that. God says this is the way it must be done. If you believe him, you will do it. But then the question becomes, what next after baptism? Some people get baptized at a very young age. I was only baptized about 13 years ago, 12, 13 years ago. It's not too long ago. But the question becomes, how do you live your life? How do you live your life faithfully to God? Some people work really hard in the church. We are very blessed here to have multiple elders who are willing to work hard for us all. They will lead us in singing. They will take care of financial matters. They make sure we're on a good footing. We're truly blessed. And that's the way God had established it. But they're not the only people working for God. We have tons of people in various roles. Kyle loves to teach singing. He's very good at preaching too. We have a lot of people with good skill sets that can be used to serve the Lord. But just because you might not fit into some aspect of direct church involvement doesn't mean you can't serve the Lord. And that's sort of the basis of the lesson today. The song we sang, the Lord says, I give you rich gifts. He gave us the most expensive gift we could ever imagine. In fact, I've often said it, and for those who know me, we cannot count the cost Christ paid for us. We can say it's him, but I tell you, we cannot put a money value on it. All the money in the world would not compare to the price he paid for us. That barter, that exchange. Philosophically, what could you give in exchange for your soul? Let's make it a little bit more approachable. Let's say you work a hard job and you have a good job, but you get fired tomorrow. What could you give to get the job back? A company could have their own reasons. It could be that they just don't like you anymore. It could be that times are really tough and they had to get rid of the position. Somebody else might not like you and they might be burdened to get rid of you or something like that. But what could you exchange for that? If you really liked your job, and let's say you were going to retire in two years, probably you would give a lot for it, right? But that in itself is tough. And this is why I'm making this point. Look at how tough it is something within our reach. Consider something so far outside our reach. And so the follow-up question is, when Jesus says, I give you rich gifts, and he asks very fairly even, what do you give in return? Jesus is not expecting all of your wealth. He doesn't need your wealth. He wants your heart. And a heart that is willing to serve is the best kind of heart. We often talk when we give in the Lord's collection, right? We will talk about how God loves a cheerful giver. Why did God have to put the word cheerful in there? You might say, well, it's easy to pinpoint, hey, if he's compelled to give, it doesn't mean anything. That's true. So why a cheerful giver then? Why not just run-of-the-mill giving? The Jews were given a tithe, which is a tenth of what they owned. Did that produce the right mindset? If you're careful, you might say, well, why did God ask for it this way, but then say about the other way later? And there is an answer for that. You understand that when you're compelled to give under obligation, it's like a tax. It's a burden. 
If God wants an effective servant for us all, why would he burden us? Let's put it this way. When you give gifts at Christmas time, what's the better kind of gift? The one you give that surprises someone? Uh, maybe it's a birthday. Maybe you don't celebrate Christmas. Or maybe it's Valentine's Day. It doesn't matter. But if you're compelled to give a gift, does it mean as much as the one that truly surprises the person? Even if you know them inside and out. What are they going to remember you more for? Hey, you got me the thing I like. Or, wow, I didn't, I didn't expect that. These are things we can relate to. So tying it back together, how do we live our lives? Just because God says, hey, I need something from you, your heart, doesn't mean that you have to give the same level as the next guy. You're not judged against that. You're not judged against whether somebody is the best preacher you've ever met. You're, you're literally not judged against that. Because think about it. The best, the best preacher you've ever met is not somebody you've seen physically. It's Jesus. Take the apostles, for example. Paul, John, Peter, you name them. Their effective style of preaching started the church. We know this, right? This is not some sort of hidden understanding, but it's literally there waiting for us, right? God wants our heart. We can serve him in so many useful ways. If you give him your heart, you can serve him wonderfully. You can sing a song, and if you have a beautiful voice, somebody might pick up on that. And they might say, why is she happy? Oh, she's got a really good voice. You don't know how you will impact others unless you sit and do nothing. Think of the parable of the talents, right? We understand what happens to the one who hid the talent. He's a worthless slave, and he was cast out. So how to live your life? You see... Paul has told us the end prize of life is the crown of life. And so you must ask yourself, if you say, how do I live my life? How do I serve the Lord? If I do it correctly, then what awaits you is a crown of life. But if you do it incorrectly, you're literally first among losers because you missed out. Now, make no mistake, I'm not calling anyone a loser here. But if you miss the prize of heaven, you're allotted with everybody else. And you had the chance. You had the opportunity. You had your whole life. You knew what to do. And that brings us to our encouraging example. And this is an interesting and fascinating woman. If you ever want to look and see what it means to serve God, just open the song book. Take a song that you like. Look up the author. Kyle, I think, gave it to us not that long ago with somebody in the modern era. This is not a repeat, but there's something to be said. So let me explain a little bit about her life kind of a thing. Her father was a rector, which is a British word for admin staff, right? He was a rector at a local church. The family was not rich. When she was 11, her mom died. And she would suffer for all her life with health ailments. In fact, she died at 42 from a stomach ailment. But because her father was a rector, he didn't make a lot of money. But that was never the point. He worked hard to provide for his own. He provided for his family. And after his wife had died, his daughter really is the only thing he's got going for him. And he thinks, gee, she can have a better life than me. I will put her in school. And so... Her father puts her in a school for girls. 
Mrs. Teed's School for Girls. It's not that title. There's an actual formal title. But he puts her in some form of formal education to try and give her a better chance. And this is important because when you look at Francis here, again, the song we just sang before sharing the Lord's Supper, if you look at one of her songs, the most interesting circumstances produced that song. With her health ailments and the death of her mother, going to school, she had troubles learning. Oftentimes her health would keep her from being able to correctly absorb what was taught to her. And you would imagine that if you want to try hard in school and you're not good at it, it's very discouraging. Her father knew school wouldn't be well for her at that point, and he didn't know what to do. Because of her health situation, she couldn't be in class. It wouldn't make sense to continue sending your child to a learning institution if they couldn't continue to learn, whatever the reason is, right? Her father cared deeply for her. He's very involved in the church. He decided to send her on a tour of history, if you will. She's from England. She decided, or sorry, he decided to send her to Germany to start looking at history. Where does history come from? Why is it written the way it is? And what can you learn about it to appreciate what you have in the modern era? And her father had sent her to Dusseldorf in Germany. And she started learning about history. She liked to sing. She liked to write down stories or short uh, tracks, if you will. This was something that she really liked to do. And after being taught how to pray, she thought, wow, I really have to be serious about serving Jesus. And one night, she was writing by the fireplace, and she wrote down the words to a song. And she thought, wow, this is not going to be a good song. I don't like it. And how often have we done that in our life? We take a first pass or a second pass at something. We realize it's no good, and we just want to kind of crumple it up and toss it away or hit the delete key in the modern era, right? Well, and this is interesting because the story is from people who know her, right? She crumpled it up and tried to throw it in the fire. Didn't work. It bounced off the grating, and it came back to her. And you might say, well, this sounds artistic. She picked it up, and she said, this has to be a sign. What she wrote on the paper was the song we sang. Now, why does that matter? I'm not asking you to believe in superstition or anything. But it changed her heart. She doubled down on her efforts to serve the Lord. And it's wonderful. She died at 42 from a stomach ailment. But it didn't stop her love for God. She came with a lot of wonderful songs. Two of which, at least, I recognize immediately in our songbook together, but actually many more. She's known for poetry, although she would constantly refuse. I'm not a poet, but when you read how she wrote, it's poet. It's poetry, rather. Long story short, she's an encouraging example because she comes from an obscure background. She's an everyday Jane, if you will, because it's a woman, right? Everyday Joe, we, we're familiar with the term. She didn't have anything special to give to Jesus. But when she came back from Germany, came back home, she knew she had to dedicate her life entirely to God. Now, if you were ever to kind of research her, she's buried beside her father. 
at the local church that they attended. But regardless of her conditions in life, and she had hard conditions, mom dies young, right? A single child at that point, right? Can't go to school. Learning disability, health disability, right? Just adds up. And for a lot of people, that would be discouraging. I've seen a lot where people will say, well, I can't do that because I'm not fit enough. Or, but that's you judging yourself. We had a really good lesson today. Am I in the position of God? You can discern yourself, but don't judge yourself because you will cast yourself off. Jesus can use you. And Jesus will use you. He, you have to imagine <clears throat> in John chapter 3, when it's declared God loves the world, God knows the world from the beginning from the end. He knows everybody's strengths and weaknesses. He knows if somebody has a specific skill set that will really help him. Maybe you can't teach directly, but you can show yourself a good example. There are people like that in the world. They silently teach, if you will. Their mannerisms, their caring for kids is second to none. You don't have to write extensive books. Look at poor Solomon, one of the smartest men to ever live. He laments in our scripture, the writing of books is tiresome. You don't have to be a gospel preacher. You don't have to even be the wife of a gospel minister at any level. But God does value a good wife. God does value a good husband. It's not so much the title. Because not everyone serves in the same capacity. We think in the New Testament he gave some as teachers and as apostles, right? This is important to note. Even among the disciples, look at the disciples you like. Who do you think the best teacher is? Is it Paul? Is it John? Is it Peter? We have the most of their works, but what about the other ones? We don't even have the works of Timothy, but Timothy, if you look at him up in history... He's very effective ministering the church. Very effective. So effective the pagans murdered him. It doesn't matter what your skill set is. It matters if you have courage and confidence to serve the Lord. So I won't take up much more time today, but just to think about what it is you can give to God. If you're a non-believer, you have to become a believer first. If you are a believer... The way, I've hit the button, I'm sorry. The way you serve God is open heart. Don't burden your heart with anything of your own doing. You will lose faith. You will destroy your courage. When God loves a cheerful giver, it's not just financially. No, it's often used financially because of where it shows up in Scripture. But that's not the only place it belongs. Think of Peter, very impulsive man. You know, he was ready to die for Jesus, and he did. We know this. But when he denied the Lord, he said emphatically, Lord, I will not deny you. Or when Jesus is about to get arrested, he pulls out his sword and chops off Malchias' ear. You see, Jesus didn't kick him away then. No, Jesus had even greater works he would do later. Very important works. Look at Acts chapter 3. Him and John, already hard at work. The Lord has already ascended into heaven. But he's hard at work, right? 
He's hard at work doing the work of God. He lets the circumstances dictate his response, not how he feels about something. Because if you let how you feel about something dictate how you will respond, you will find one of two big problems. Not the only problems, but one of two big problems. One, non-starter. You just you won't do it. You'll talk yourself out of it. Or the second one, you will begrudgingly do it, or you will sulk at some level. But that's not what a cheerful giver is, right? When Jesus cured the ten lepers, how many lepers had returned? It was just the one. Jesus knew the answer, but he asked the question anyways to help the man who came back understand. Where are the others? And think of it. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to be serious about serving him, and he will take care of all the rest. So if you're not a Christian this day, and you would like to know how to live for Jesus, we can help you with that. But also, if you are a Christian, we're here to encourage each other and help each other. There are a lot of good people in this room. Don't discount yourself. Not for your past. Don't discount yourself. You have been saved by the best of the best. And he has use for all of us, no matter how small or great it is. Thank you. Announcements this 